Hi there and welcome to Freedom Church. Um, great to have you with us this morning. We're back in the book of Nehemiah in chapter 9. So we're going to first of all hear um, God's word being read to us. Nehemiah 9. On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together fasting and wearing sackcloth and putting dust on their heads. Those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood in their places and confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. They stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day and spent another quarter in confession and in worshiping the Lord their God. Standing on the stairs of the Levites were Jeshua, Benai, Cadmiel, Shebaniah, Bunai, Sherebiah, Benai, and Kenanai. They cried out with loud voices to the Lord their God, and the Levites, Jeshua, Cadmiel, Benai, Hashabniah, Sherebiah, Hodiah, Shebaniah, and Pethahiah said, Stand up and praise the Lord your God, who is from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, and may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all their starry hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to everything, and the multitudes of heaven worship you. You are the Lord God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and named him Abraham. You found his heart faithful to you, and you made a covenant with him to give to his descendants the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Jebusites, and Gergesites. You have kept your promise because you are righteous. You saw the suffering of our ancestors in Egypt. You heard their cry at the Red Sea. You sent signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all his officials, and all the people of his land, for you knew how arrogantly the Egyptians treated them. You made a name for yourself which remains to this day. You divided the sea before them so that they passed through it on dry ground. But you hurled their pursuers into the depths like a stone into mighty waters. By day you led them with a pillar of cloud, and by night with a pillar of fire to give them light on the way they were to take. You came down on Mount Sinai. You spoke to them from heaven. You gave them regulations and laws that are just and right, and decrees and commands that are good. You made known to them your holy Sabbath and gave them commands, decrees, and laws through your servant Moses. In their hunger, you gave them bread from heaven, and in their thirst, you brought them water from the rock. You told them to go in and take possession of the land you had sworn with uplifted hand to give them. But they, our ancestors, became arrogant and stiff-necked, and they did not obey your commands. They refused to listen and failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. They became stiff-necked and in their rebellion appointed a leader in order to return to their slavery. But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Therefore you did not desert them, even when they cast for themselves an image of a calf and said, This is your God who brought you up out of Egypt or when they committed awful blasphemies. Because of your great compassion, you did not abandon them in the wilderness. By day, the pillar of cloud did not fail to guide them on their path, nor the pillar of fire by night to shine on the way they were to take. You gave your good spirit to instruct them. You did not withhold your manna 
from their mouths and you gave them water for their thirst. For forty years you sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, nor did their feet become swollen. You gave them kingdoms and nations, allotting to them even the remotest frontiers. They took over the country of Sion, king of Heshbon, and the country of Og, king of Basham. You made their children as numerous as the stars in the sky, and you brought them into the land that you told their parents to enter and possess. Their children went in and took possession of the land. You subdued before them the Canaanites who lived in the land. You gave the Canaanites into their hands, along with their kings and the peoples of the land, to deal with them as they pleased. They captured fortified cities and fertile land. They took possession of houses filled with all kinds of good things, wells already dug, vineyards, olive groves, and fruit trees in abundance. They ate to the full and were well nourished. They reveled in your great goodness. But they were disobedient and rebelled against you. They turned their backs on your law. They killed your prophets, who had warned them in order to turn them back to you. They committed awful blasphemies. So you delivered them into the hands of their enemies who oppressed them. But when they were oppressed, they cried out to you. From heaven you heard them. And in your great compassion you gave them deliverers, who rescued them from the hand of their enemies. But as soon as they were at rest... They again did what was evil in your sight. Then you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies so that they ruled over them. And when they cried out to you again, you heard from heaven, and in your compassion you delivered them time after time. You warned them in order to turn them back to your law. But they became arrogant and disobeyed your commands. They sinned against your ordinances, of which you said, The person who obeys them will live by them. Stubbornly they turned their backs on you, became stiff-necked, and refused to listen. For many years you were patient with them. By your spirit you warned them through your prophets, yet they paid no attention, so you gave them into the hands of the neighboring peoples. But in your great mercy you did not put an end to them or abandon them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. Now therefore our God, the great God, mighty and awesome, who keeps his covenant of love. Do not let all this hardship seem trifling in your eyes, the hardship that has come on us, on our kings and leaders, on our priests and prophets, on our ancestors and all your people, from the days of the kings of Assyria until today. In all that has happened to us, you have remained righteous. You have acted faithfully while we acted wickedly. Our kings, our leaders, our priests, and our ancestors did not follow your law. They did not pay attention to your commands or the statutes you warned them to keep, even while they were in their kingdom, enjoying your great goodness to them in the spacious and fertile land you gave them. They did not serve you or turn from their evil ways. But see, we are slaves today, slaves in the land you gave our ancestors so they could eat its fruit and the other good things it produces, because of our sins, its abundant harvest goes to the kings you have placed over us. They rule over our bodies and our cattle as they please. We are in great distress. In view of all this, we are making a binding agreement, putting it in writing, and our leaders, our Levites, and our priests are affixing their seals to it.
It is said that the most important lesson that history has to teach us is that people do not learn very much from the lessons of history and how true that is both on a personal level but also on, the, on, a, on a national level as well. But how much better would it be if we could learn from the mistakes of the past rather than just repeating them over and, and over again? But perhaps an even more important lesson is that history is truly his story. So we get into this chapter, chapter 9, and this prayer, it's all about God. About God dealing with his people. This is God's history story. In verse 5, you read how the, the, the Levites urge the people to praise the Lord. And then we're swept into this long and magnificent prayer, perhaps one of the greatest prayers in all of the Old Testament, giving us this panoramic view of God's work from creation and right throughout his dealings with his people. And you will see the majesty, but also the grace of God. But you're also going to see the sinfulness of humanity, how from time and time again, Israel responds to God's great love to them and God's mercy over them is to rebel and just simply to go their own way. But perhaps what lies behind this prayer more than anything else are the great promises of God. Promises like 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. So in verses 1 to 6 of this prayer, we see, we see the greatness of God. And then in verses 7 to 30, we see the goodness of God. And then finally, 31 to 38, it's the grace of God. So firstly, the greatness of God. Now the feast of the, of the tabernacles had finished, but the people, the people just don't want to rush away. In fact, they're so keen to hear more of God's word that they linger and they just want to spend time in God's presence. And as they listen, they are convicted. So their, their feasting has turned into fasting and, and confession of their sins. But surprisingly, this fasting and confession begins to mingle with soaring praise and worship. So what's really going on here? See, when God's perfect word is declared, it will cut right through. It will bring challenge into people's lives. It tells us in the, the New Testament that God's word is actually like a double-edged sword cutting through sinew and bone. Listen, it brings, it brings life change into people's hearts and minds. It cuts deep sometimes. And it should lead imperfect people to the confession of their sins. But also it will lead to the praising of God for his uncompromising perfection. But you may think that three hours of Bible reading and preaching followed by a three hour prayer meeting may be enough to drive anyone to their knees. And, and you may be right, but, but these people are in the, in the presence of God. They're just knowing what it is to, to spend time in his presence, just enjoying all that God has got in store for them and, and giving to them as they listen to his word. And listen, no one, no one wants to rush away. It's so important that you take time in the presence of God, that you, you learn to enjoy him, to acknowledge his greatness. And as you come under God's word and the reading of the scriptures, the right response is praise and prayer. It's confession of sins. It's separating ourselves from anything that displeases God. 
And the better you know your Bibles and apply them to your life, the better you will know God and become more like him. And it's through the scriptures and by his spirit that God will speak to you. But it is through prayer and through praise that you begin to speak to him. So we join with the Levites as they stand and we say, praise the Lord, our God, who is from everlasting to everlasting. We declare, blessed be his glorious name and may be he be exalted above all blessing and praise. Listen, he is worthy. He alone is worthy of all your praise. You know, even the fact that he receives your praise just reveals how great God is. He is a holy God. Listen, God needs nothing from you. He, he doesn't need you, not even for a moment yet. He graciously receives your praise. But it's so important that we come to God in the right way. We come by repenting of sins and seeking forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And we spoke about this quite a lot last week. But this is, I guess, about being honest with God and actually being honest with ourselves. But there's a big difference between confession of sins, but also feeling condemned by our sins. And listen, God does not condemn you, but God by his spirit will bring you under conviction of sins. Listen, if you live under constant condemnation, condemnation will only stop you from worshipping God. It will take your eyes off his majesty. In fact, the more you look at yourself, the more you try to internally examine yourself or even try and tear yourself apart, the more discouraged you're going to become. And healthy confession and repentance means we look to Jesus. It takes us back to the cross of Jesus Christ. It points us back to him. And the more you look at Jesus, the more encouraged you will become, the more hopeful, the more joyful. Confession and repentance will always bring you back to Christ. You know, the nation of Israel had been called to be a holy nation. They had been called by God. In fact, in Leviticus, God says to them to be holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy. And I have set you apart from the nations to be my own. The apostle Peter picks up a similar sort of theme when he talks um, in the New Testament. And he says to his early church, and he says back to us today, he says, just as he that is God who called you to be holy, so be holy in all that you do. So my friends, let's, let's learn the lessons of history. Let us learn the lessons and apply them to your lives. Listen, you can either learn the easy way or we can learn the hard way. How much better to learn the lessons of history? Lesson one, God is God alone. He is the only true and living God. He is a jealous God and he will not share your worship with anything else or anyone else. He wants all of you, all of your heart, all of your life to be an act of sacrificial worship to him. And he is worthy. He deserves all of that and so much more because he is great. He is a great God.
As we read a little bit further on in this prayer, we see why God is great. In fact, we see God's greatness in creation, verse 6. Listen, he created this universe. Everything that we see and everything that we don't see has been created by God. Nothing, nothing exists without him. From the very further star that is millions of light years away, right down to the hidden depths of the ocean, has all been created by God. The psalm writer says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hands. So listen, just just stop for a moment. Just stop and marvel at all that God has created, all the wonders of this world, of this, of this earth, right down from the, as you stand maybe on the top of a mountain and just look across the beauty of, of his creation, maybe standing on the edge of, a, of, of, of the ocean and just looking out and seeing and just mesmerized by all that God has created. It's, it's so amazing. Or perhaps just even look at yourselves and the complexities of the human body. You know, I spend most of my my days looking into people's eyes as an optician. I've done it for the last 20 odd years and, and I know a lot of the detail about how the eye works, but I don't really understand it, not fully. And after 20 years of, of looking into eyes, I know that the light falls on the retina and, and it creates this, this image that's taken through this bundle of, of millions of nerve fibers back to, to the visual cortex at the back of the, of the brain and, and, and somehow forms these incredible images that we see and, 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 and helps us to, to see everything around us. Yet it is so complicated, so complex as, 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 um, as a human race, as we are designing new things, we're not even close to design anything quite as complex as the human eye. And right from the very minute detail of this world, right through to the vastness of this universe, God has created everything that we see and we can be amazed at what he has created. But how much more should we be amazed at the one who has created all of it? God is great. But God didn't just create everything and then forget about it. He is the one who both provides and also sustains this world and everything in it. Listen, he sees the sparrow fall and he cares. He knows the number of stars in the sky. He counts every one of them. In fact, it tells us that he he names them all. He even knows the number of hairs on your head. When one falls out, he notices, he cares. But we also see God's creation in the way in which the hosts of heaven just worship him. The Bible describes in a number of different places how angelic forces continually worship before his throne. They cry out before the holy God. They said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. This whole, the whole earth is filled with his glory. And they set an example that surely each one of us should follow. And yet, yet each one of us has an even greater reason to praise him. You see, you have been saved by God's grace. An angel can't say that. They can try and begin to understand, but they have never experienced what it is to be taken from darkness, from spiritual death, into spiritual life, into the light of God. They have no idea what God's grace is fully about because they can never possibly experience, not the way you have, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ. And you have an even greater reason to praise the Lord because you're not just a servant of God, you are a child of God. 
In fact, one day you will live with him forever. So friends, let's learn the lessons of history. Let's understand God's greatness, God's majesty, his power. The second thing is the goodness of God. The main bulk of this prayer talks about the goodness of God and his generosity towards his people. In fact, the word give is used at least 16 times in this chapter. And we see a God who delights to meet the needs of his people. He gave them land and law. He gave them his spirit. He gave them food, water, deliverance and victory. In fact, what more could any nation possibly want? Yet sadly, time and time again, they fail to appreciate his gifts or even to obey his word. But right from the very beginning, God forms this nation as an act of pure grace. And he takes a godless person like Abram and he changes his name to Abraham and he, he, he makes him the father of this great nation. A nation that is based on a covenant promise between a good God and his people. But it was God's will that, that this nation would also bless the nations around it. And that ultimately came to his fulfillment through one Jewish man, through Jesus. And Jesus Christ, who is both fully God and, and fully man, as he came into this world, he lived a perfect life. He never sinned. He faced the same temptations and challenges that you faced, but he never, he never sinned. And yet they still took him and they nailed him to a, to a cross. And there they left him to die. But on that cross, Jesus took the sins of this world. He took your sin, your shame. He took your guilt and he paid the price for it. And then as Jesus Christ rose from the dead, he defeated death and sin and hell. So that all who come to him by faith would know his forgiveness. Listen, it all begins with faith. Even for Abraham, it began by faith. And Abraham started with nothing, but by faith, God blessed him with a land and with a family. In fact, it was in a foreign land of, of Egypt that this nation of Israel multiplied greatly. And it was here also that we see God's power and God's deliverance at work. In fact, as God opens the Red Sea and he lets the Israelites through on dry land within a few minutes, within a few moments of them stepping the other side, the seas come crashing back in again, wiping out and destroying an entire Egyptian army and providing complete deliverance for his people and then God carried on leading them he led them by day and by night he gave them food to eat and water to drink he gives them his holy law revealing his will and the sabbath as a special sign between God and his people and we see this generosity of a good God a God who does who sees who sent who knew who led who gave but God didn't just give his law so that people would know how to live in order to become his people. No, God gave his law so that those he has chosen, his people would know how to live as his children. But look how the nations responded to him. Look how this nation of Israel treated God after all that he had given them. They refused God's authority. They hardened their hearts. They wouldn't listen to God's word or even to obey it. They even took matters into their own hands. They, they chose a new leader to take them back to Egypt. And they even made an idol and worshipped it. 
and they wanted God's gifts and God's blessings, but they were not willing to give their hearts completely over to God. They didn't truly love him. During the 40 years journey in the wilderness, God never, never left his people. The old generation died out, a new one is, is raised up and he, he leads them by cloud and by the fire. He teaches them his word, he provides them the necessities of life. He gives them victory over their enemies and God keeps his promises and he fulfills his purposes. He shows his people that if they obey God, they will share in his blessing. But if they disobey him, they will miss out on his blessing. However, nothing, absolutely nothing stops God's purposes being fulfilled or his name being glorified. So learn, learn the lessons of history. Lesson two, keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your mind on the things of God. Instead of looking back at Egypt, back at your past or at the foreign nations around you and the temptations of this world, look at Jesus Listen, you've got two choices as a Christian. You either learn to obey God or you disobey God. And if as a Christian you live in disobedience and sin, you will never fully reach the blessings of God and you will live as a lukewarm Christian below the privileges of all that God has got for you. That is no way to live. That's no way to live. Under the, under the fullness of God's blessing it's no way to live instead instead if you obey him if you give all of your heart over to him you will receive an inheritance of blessing i'm not saying that life will necessarily be easy for you we all face difficulties in life sometimes it can be challenging what i'm saying god will be with you by his spirit. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Also, you will know just the joy of God, his presence, God's blessing as an inheritance. But don't just delight because of God's goodness. Delight because of God. Because of him. Keep your eyes on him. It was under Joshua that the land of Canaan was conquered. But it was God who gave them the victory. And they, they took over the land and the houses and the cities and the wealth of that land. But again, they wanted the Father's wealth, but not the Father's will. And this is highlighted by just the repetitive sin cycle of warnings, of suffering, of repentance, of then deliverance. And then they, they sin all over again, beginning this cycle all over and over and over again. And it's, it's pretty depressing reading in the middle of this, of this prayer of disobedience, rebellion, blasphemy, evildoing, arrogance, stubbornness, a stiff-necked people refusing to come under God's authority. But against this black backdrop of Israel's unfaithfulness, we see the bright light of God's faithfulness. And we get a glimpse of what God is really like. A holy God, but also a compassionate, rescuing, warning, patient, merciful and gracious God. But Israel's sins finally become so disgusting to God that he decides to discipline them away from their own land. 
And he uses the Assyrians to, to destroy the northern region and then the Babylonians to take the southern region. But even God's discipline is just as much an evidence of his love as his blessings are. So learn the lessons of history. Lesson three. God loves you too much to allow you to become a spoiled child and he will do what is necessary to bring you to maturity in Christ. You know why? We can find it too easy to be amazed or even a little bit smug about the Israel's folly and their cycle of sin and almost sort of look at ourselves and think, well, at least we're not quite as bad as they are. And, and yet we need to stop for a moment and allow the Holy Spirit to just shine a light of his holiness into our own hearts and realize that the sins that we do, often we repeat just over and over and over again. In fact, we're not that much better than the nation of Israel so often, so many times. And there will come a point when God will discipline those he loves. Listen, he does it because he, he truly loves you. And you can either learn the easy way or you can learn the hard way. You can either learn the lessons of history or you can repeat the mistakes over and over again. But because of God's love, he will not leave you and he will discipline you till he brings you to maturity in Christ. But in everything, God's purposes will come to pass and God's will will be done and he is still good and his love for you will never never end the third thing then is the grace of God and this prayer finally reaches the time of Nehemiah and his friends but despite all that they've been through the exile and this has been a really rubbish time for the nation of, of Israel of everything they've gone through they are still able to acknowledge that God is good and just. And God was good to his people even when they were not good to him. He, and, and, and he, in his mercy, he forgave them when they cried out to him for help. And in his mercy, God didn't give them what they deserved. In fact, they deserve to be wiped out. They deserve death. But God, by his grace, he gives them what they don't deserve. So they declare in all that has happened to us, you, God, you have remained righteous. You have acted faithfully while we acted wickedly. So this, this prayer finishes with just an acknowledgement of God's grace. Lesson four. Grace enables you to ask God for mercy again. Grace enables you to ask God for mercy again. Now, so many people just say to me, you know what? You have no idea what I have done. God could never possibly forgive me. Listen, grace proves you wrong. In fact, Israel's history proves that God who forgave them in the past is a God who will forgive you today and forgive you tomorrow. Listen, God's grace is enough. But this nation, these people actually go one step further and listen, so must we grace demands in a sense that we do not because we have to but because we want to because we are motivated by love we're motivated by all that God has got done for us so these guys make a solemn covenant a promise with God to obey him and to do his will it is grace that enables them to ask God for a new beginning 
for their nation. No, no matter how bad you are, or even how good you may think you are, we all need to ask Jesus into our life. We need Jesus to forgive us. We need his grace in our life. It's, it starts by realizing that you can do nothing to deserve God. There's nothing you can do to deserve the mercy or grace of God. It has all been done for you by Jesus Christ through his death and through his resurrection. But sometimes God will allow you to become low, even to break you before your spiritual eyes are open to see the huge gulf that exists between your sin and a holy and a righteous God, but also then to see in Jesus Christ the solution to the problem. Because Jesus Christ has taken your sin, he's taken your punishment. It means that you are made right with God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ by his grace. And he will forgive you. In fact, the Old Testament tells us that he will accept you and he loves you and he will take your sins and he will throw them into the very deepest of oceans, never to be held against you again. So by grace, through faith, you can know yourselves loved by God, forgiven and justified and accepted. You know, our God is a glorious God, gracious and merciful, long-suffering he is a forgiving and pardoning God. He is powerful and faithful and he is concerned with the needs of this people. He is a generous God who gives to us way beyond anything that we could possibly ever deserve. He is a God who keeps his promise. Surely a God like that is worthy. Surely he deserves our loving obedience. And today, today is a day of new beginnings. We say that with confidence because while we still have breath in our bodies, we still have God's grace offered to us. There's a day coming when either we will pass on into the next world or, or Jesus Christ will come back again and then it will be too late. But for now, today is the day of grace. Today is the day of God's salvation. All of this is made possible because of the cross of Jesus who has secured full and final forgiveness and an abundant and undeserved blessing for you. He loves you. He loves you. Do you know how great God is? Do you understand his grace at work in your life? Do you know that God is good beyond measure? A God who loves you and cares for you. How will you respond to him? The right response is praise. It's prayer. But it's also confession of sins. It is to live as holy, righteous people before God. Listen, we need God to help us in this. We need his Holy Spirit to fill us. But it starts by getting down on our knees and saying sorry. Turning from our sin and turning to Jesus. And as you do that, his grace is enough. He loves you, he will forgive you, and he welcomes you. He welcomes you into his family. Why not respond to him today? Let's pray.